Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the one-year anniversary of housing going into a recession and when it might end. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Christina Bennett, Senior Vice President of UWM Sales, about a career in the wholesale channel. Christina, what have you seen happen in the wholesale channel over the past six months? Yes, Sarah, we've seen some great growth in the wholesale channel over the past several months. Specifically, every single week, we're getting hundreds of phone calls from retail loan officers calling in to find out how can they join an independent mortgage broker? How can they become an independent mortgage broker? And quite honestly, just realizing that wholesale is better for consumers and a better place for them to work as well. Thanks, Christina. And listeners, you can go to BeAMortgageBroker.com to get more information. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Friday, and it's wonderful to be here, Sarah. It is great to have you, and we are recording this on Friday, June 16th, one year to the day from when you put housing into a recession or or you recognize that housing was in a recession in 2022. So let's talk all about that. What has happened since then? And first of all, maybe define what how you see it as a recession and why that date was important. So to me, what a recession is uh, in housing. It isn't about home prices. There's a there's a lot of uh, confusion about this because people say, well, housing's not in recession because home prices haven't fallen yet. And that's not the economic way of looking at housing. So when I think of is housing going in recession, number one is demand's going to fall. Number two, uh, demand's going to fall so much that jobs are going to fall in the real estate industry. And that's what we've seen. Um, total incomes are going to fall just because uh, housing demand has fallen so much, jobs have fallen, and that the total income that the people in the sector make is going to fall as well. Uh, these are things that are not happening in the general uh, economy yet. So the U.S. economy isn't in a recession, but housing uh, is. And then the final one is production, right? The housing permits are going to fall. Um, the builders, of course, the difference now is the builders had this backlog that they had to work off of. So while they're doing that, they're not issuing permits in a, in a, in a big way. So that traditionally goes with every housing recession uh, we have had. And I think if you just look at existing home sales prices, that takes away like the really important things like uh, housing construction, um, uh, permits, uh, big ticket items, those things that are still happening because completions are still rising. So it's a little bit of a unique recession, but you could see the, you know, what, what occurred uh, when I put the housing market in in a recession in June 16th, what occurred right after that uh, during the next uh, uh, six months was the biggest home sale crash ever recorded in history. And then it stopped going down, of course. Uh, after November 9th. But that's how I view a recession. That's why, you know, when I went on CNBC last year and uh, the anchor Becky Quick asked me because the NAR and the NH, uh, the, the whole the Home Builders Association both said housing is a recession. Do I agree? I said yes, but these are my reasons uh, demand, jobs, income, and production. 
those are all falling out. But even back then, I said, that's not happening in the general uh, economy yet. Well, and sadly, that recession has gotten deeper in the housing section uh, sector, right? I mean, we've we have shed so many jobs in mortgage, and apparently, we're not at the end of that yet. No, I mean, to me, it's 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 a very unique housing recession in the sense that, unlike twenty thirteen and fourteen, or twenty eighteen and nineteen, when home sales started to fall. I, I think 20, I mean, 2018 is a really good example. I should be using that because that's Becky Quick asked me on that day. She's like, what, do you, what does this remind you of? What, when you think about housing, what can we fall back on? And a lot of people say this is the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, or the, or, or the kind of early to mid-1990s, and our favorite group, the 2008 people. But um, this really reminds me of 2018. And, and going back to 2018, uh, when mortgage rates got to 5%, existing home sales went from like 5.72 million to 4.98 million. Uh, people were, you know, seeing, uh, their, the demand decline and their business decline. Of course, in the mortgage industry, not only did purchase, uh, data come down a bit, uh, um, the refinance business, uh, dried up. So we have a, a magnanimous bigger version of this event happening because, Home sales didn't stop at 4.98. They went all the way down to 4 million. Um, mortgage rates uh, skyrocketed more than 5%. Uh, but what, what occurred also last year is that, we, in a sense, we crashed so much so fast in housing in terms of demand that we've gotten to a, a, a level that it's been very hard to break under. So I, I, the way I explain this is that the marginal home buyer or, or an investor or so, somebody of that nature has all been wiped out within one year. And now we're dealing with the core kind of 4 million home sale base that we've always had after 1996. And this is why housing demand has stabilized. It hasn't grown. Um, the builders, of course, are doing better just because they're taking advantage of the low inventory situation. But it's not like they're new home sales are booming in any kind of fashion or they're high historically they're they're very effective efficient sellers of homes so they're they're moving product uh that's why their stocks have done good but in this context they're not really issuing new permits i have a whole model for this that the builders don't really want to start issuing permits until monthly supply gets below six and a half months and new home sales are growing they feel more comfortable in that and this is why the permits data has has still stayed uh, uh, low, even though the builder stocks have done uh, so low. So that's that's the difference with t- 2018. 2018, when mortgage rates got to 5%, the builder stocks were down 20, 30%. Uh, one of the, uh, I think the, uh, uh, one of the CEOs of the builders even said, it's the worst fourth quarter since the Great Recession, you know? So they can get drama very quickly, but Rates fell. Rates fell after uh, uh, in 2019, and it, the the model actually recovered right back. So that was kind of like a mild recession for housing, just a brief one, nothing nothing too dramatic. But here, rates fell kind of. You know, we got down to a little bit of level, and then we've just been back and forth. If mortgage rates had gone to five percent and stayed there, we'd have a much different housing discussion today. Uh, uh, even the most fanatical housing crash person would throw in the towel. Um, but uh, we don't have that type of marketplace right now, but everything kind of just stabilized. And that's the, that's the main uh, phrase that I, I've always tried to say, that 
the, re- the recession happened, demand stabilized, it's not growing. And because of that, permits aren't growing, jobs aren't coming back or anything in that manner. Um, but the bleeding has stopped. Uh, so it's still in a recession until some of the data line starts to grow again. And then you could get out of this and get growth uh, in the sector. So if you're in mortgage and you have family in mortgage and, you know, you hear, okay, the bleeding has stopped, that's good. When might it actually turn around? I just had Kevin Peranio on um, this show and he's very bullish on uh, 2024. He thinks that by that time we will um, have some other things in place. What is, you know, people are kind of writing off the rest of this year. Most of the people that I hear at conferences or talk to where they're like, yeah, no one knows what's going to happen between here and the end of the year, but 2024 has some promise. What is your take on that? My entire livelihood on economics for housing revolves around the ten-year yield. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, that was that, that's actually been the theme. A few months ago, when I went on CNBC and I said, you know, the housing market revolves around the ten-year yield, and of course, mortgage-backed uh, securities the spreads have gotten worse this year. Uh, if the ten-year yield falls and the spreads get better, if the ten-year yield breaks under three point two one percent and the spreads get better, you got five five percent mortgages not 5.875 or 5.7 you got near 5% that changes the dynamic to allow growth so here's a here's a really good example of of what uh I'm I'm talking about with growth from November 9th to February 2nd rates started to fall from 7.37% to 5.99% we had 3 months of better purchase application data now just imagine if rates kept on going lower and we didn't like pause on the growth. We just kept on growing from that point. You would have much higher home sales. You'd have uh, much lower. You could actually even get some uh, uh, refinance business in there. That would be growth for the industry in terms of more demand, not only just from purchases, but from refinance. But you need to get that break. And again, the whole thing for this year was the labor market is the key. And the labor market hasn't broken yet. So that Gandalf line was created. Now, I didn't. Did, did I think it was going to be tested eight times? No, nobody, nobody would think something. You know, usually you get three, maybe. But um, so we're we're we're, diff- we're dealing with such a unique uh, uh, a year. And um, until the, I mean, for me, it's always been the same. The ten year yield has to break, and I'm I, I I'm sticking always to the labor data on that one, even though the growth rate of inflation is. Uh, noticeably falling down now. And it's interesting today, the University of Michigan and, and kind of inflation expectations fell, I mean, really big. Uh, that was the data line that made Jay Powell talk about, oh my God, we have to really start hiking rates. We hear crickets from the Fed today. In fact, I- Interesting. I told- so, okay, when it when it was going, when he, when he felt like it was out of control one way, you know, was right, raising rates, but I I, I even told the Wall Street Journal, Nick Tamaris, who talks to the Fed, you should ask them right now because if they're staying consistent, which I don't believe the Fed does, uh, you would make a comment on this. In fact, the only thing we heard today is Governor Waller say, we need to raise rates. Core inflation's not falling fast enough. Raise rates, raise rates. So, um, you know, it's always a game. It's always a back and forth game with the Fed. and, and it feels like Waller is there. Uh, he's he's going to always play the bad guy, right? He's always going to usually go it's like, Bullard, yeah. but Bullard's not a voting member, so Waller is the is the it's the old man that couldn't buy a home in D.C. because there are no homes available. So he's mad. So, but uh, 
Yeah, he came out today. So I, it's interesting. I, I mean, you know, you look at these inflation data charts, they're they're all coming down. It's just that core takes longer than than others. And but the backdrop for core falling uh, over the next 12 months is good. And it's always a this is a positive, right? The inflation growth rate peaked last year. Nobody's forecasting reacceleration. The only people that put up a big fuss about this are usually the anti-central bank people, and they want everybody to just blow up. But um, in, in this case, uh, uh, the next 12 months is really interesting on the core aspect. That's why that article that I uh, wrote last uh, last week on inflation, kind of trying to focus on, okay, this part of the inflationary data is lagging, but now it's, you know, the, the backdrop is good. And, you know, when we had, you know, when we look at the 21st century, from the year 2000 to 2019, the growth rate of inflation was very tame, but it was much lower than what we have now. So I think when people think, well, inflation's falling, rates should be falling, just remember, we're still above what we are traditionally running at. And I think that's where the Fed focuses on, you know, core uh, service inflation, X housing or X shelter. But it makes it makes things harder for them when if core services or or core inflation is falling, you can't be very aggressive in that sense. That was the whole premise of, you know, raising rates so much so fast to moderate later and then move on. But uh, uh, again, it's it's I always tell people things could be a lot worse. That ten year yield could be north of four and a quarter with the spreads. Now you're looking at eight percent plus mortgage rates, and that and that's you know that's that's a negative. Uh, all we have done right now for the year is it's kind of a wash at this point. Um, year-to-date purchase application data is negative, positive, 11, 11. So we're just stabilized here. So history shows us usually the next move is lower in rates from these levels. But uh, we can if we get the spreads better and we get the 10-year yield below 3.0, you got something to work with. The data has shown you this. You got a glimpse of it. Uh, uh, from November 9th to February 2nd. But uh, of course, rates have just been back and forth for the year, which looks normal to me. But if it broke, you got something positive to work with now. Well, so what influences the 10-year yield? I feel like I ask you this all the time because it's like you can say, oh, you know, 10-year yield gets below this, but you know who's in charge of what the ten? You know, it's, I mean, when you, when you think of 10-year yield, you think of growth inflation data, but it, this year, this year it's 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 different for me. I I I could understand why people thought the ten year yield should be breaking and mortgage rates should be falling. But we work off channels for a year, and last year, you know, th- think about the crazy person that said, "Okay, four and a quarter is the peak." I like what lunatic would actually write something on October twenty seventh and say, "I think the dollar getting so strong and market stress four and a quarter is the peak. The next move should be lower." Uh, and and we know who that person was. Yes, we know who <laughs> the lunatic is. So it, the ten year yield looks right to me. And you got to remember, in the previous expansion, when I used to forecast uh, uh, mortgage rates and ten year yields, every year was it was so boring last time. And the last decade was so like it was just one one point six to three percent. We're just going to be in a range here. And then when the next recession happens, bond yields should go lower. And that correlates to a long downtrend in bond yields. Here, it's a little bit different because you know inflation itself, the growth rate is higher uh, um, than what we saw from 2000 to 2019. So that's why I'm, I wasn't a you know sub-3% 
10 uh, year yield. I mean, we had the 10 year yield was actually lower with the hottest inflationary data last year. So there, there's a little bit more dynamics going on um, that are a little bit complicated that I won't bore people. But that that was the channel for this year on the 10 year yield mortgage rates. So far, everything is held. The difference is the banking crisis has made mortgage rates uh, worse. So in that sense, we're not getting the growth that we would see in existing home sales or new home sales to issue more permits to get more jobs that we're just stabilized. And I think stabilization as part of it is, is frustrating to a degree because you want to see more. And then, you know, the housing crash, people want to see more damage done. And so it's uh, kind of being that stuck theory that I've always talked about housing being stuck, you need, but you need lower rates. You need rates lower with duration. That's the key. Uh, uh, and all we have done this year is stabilize. Huh. You need lower rates with duration or else you're stuck. I don't know. Some people might call that a mortgage rate lockdown. I'm just saying. That is not a mortgage. You know, it's, it's interesting. Mike Simonson actually uh, agreed with me and did a, he, on his presentation, he kind of explained to people. And of course, you know, then I, I even got some public apologies on Twitter. They like, okay, I understand now what you're talking about, Logan. So, uh, you have now both your data analysts for Housing Wire that disagree with you, and, and again, the mortgage rate lockdown. Just just to make it um, really simple, um, when rates fall, demand gets better. That's nobody's arguing that. We've seen that in the data all the time. the The argument has always been that the mortgage rate lockdown was uh, always talked about that it'll create more active inventory. That's never occurred, actually. Demand gets bitter. You get more lists, you get more sellers that will uh, come to the marketplace, but they also buy a house right away. The inventory doesn't really grow. So uh, there's two different groups now uh, in this camp. There's the housing crash people. They, I mean, these people latch onto anything, by the way. I just I marvel at this capacity to just take anything and go with it. But now they're saying that, well, okay, when rates fall, inventory is going to flood the market and um, home prices are going to crash. This was actually the 2021 premise uh, because nobody listed their homes back in uh, uh, COVID. So now they assumed everyone was going to list their homes and nobody can buy and home prices would crash. Then there was forbearance and everything. We had 3% mortgage rates in 2021. New listings data was at all time low. So that's, that, that's not a valid premise. And then there's, we need lower rates because that needs inventory to grow. You can get more, people to list their homes, sell and buy, but it doesn't actually grow uh, uh, active listings in any fashion. The only two times we've seen active inventory grow was 2014 and 2022. Inventory is higher this year than last year. Uh, We're going to get some negative year over year print soon, but still we're working from a a higher base. But because demand stabilized as rates had gone lower, the ability to inventory to grow has been uh, limited. Uh, And whenever rates go lower, demand picks up, supply and demand economics, you know, demand goes down, uh, demand picks up, uh, supply goes down. That's how it works. So that's why I've never been a fan of the mortgage rate lockdown premise itself. This is how it's been explained. Well, uh, again, lots to say there, but I did want to bring up something, um, you know, on the housing crash or people comparing this where we are currently to 2008. Um, on Thursday, you had um, a, a pretty famous guy, the guy who wrote the Black Swan and, uh, you know, talking about those unforeseen events and all that came out and was uh, talking about how. Nassim, yeah, yes, like yes. I was, sur- I was surprised that he actually said real estate 
is fake because of seven percent mortgage rates. So of course, of course, I, I mean, I don't follow a lot of people on Twitter, but when when something like that happens on TV, guess who everyone tweets? Hey, Logan, you got to come down. So we did a little. Of course, I do. I love these mini dissertations on Twitter because I do my charts, I make videos, and everything. And again, the whole the whole premise was that if Mister Black Swan says real estate is fake, uh, and it's it, we have a two thousand seven to two thousand eight event because real estate is fake, rates go from three to seven percent. Okay, right? Home sales did crash. That is true. Except first off the bat, two thousand seven active listings were at four million. NAR data. So we're looking here. It's 1 million. Difference there. Number two, as always, the credit stress buildup took four years for it to happen to get to 2008. That means credit built, credit stress buildup, 2005, 6, 7, 8. None, nothing is happening in there for over 10 years, right? And it would take us four, five, six years to even get to that kind of level and then have the recession in year seven. Right, so it's it's it, the 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 variables don't even work; they don't even match. You're you're talking about a recession that's going to happen six seven years from now. Uh, so we have no buildup of credit stress, and then of course the entire debt structures of loans being done from 1996 to 2005 they don't exist anymore. The 2005 bankruptcy reform laws changed some of the consumer behavior, and then the 2010 QM laws, qualified mortgage, changed that. So. So to say 2007 and eight, if you want to say, okay, well, commercial loans are going to go bust. We all know this. This is like the slow moving train of death, right? Uh, uh, or it's that seed from Austin Powers where the guy sees the ice rink uh, rollerblades coming toward him. He's screaming, right? It's going to take another 20 minutes, but he's screaming. That's This is what I think about the commercial uh, loan uh, uh, debacle that's going to happen. So we know this, but it's not residential. Because none of the data validates this. This is this is my whole work for the last like seven eight years. Is trying to teach people credit risk modeling and credit channels or inventory. Just trying to we we don't have that here. So when you really test it, of course, COVID right didn't flinch. No, come on, bring bring everything here. You know, forbearance didn't flinch, right? And then twenty twenty two seven percent mortgage rates, the biggest crash. Didn't flinch again. Why? Because the credit channels for homeowners have never looked better on paper. So for Mr. Black Swan to do that, I think that's that's a very big stretch. And hopefully teaching this with the charts and the videos, people could understand this better so they can tell their I always say whenever whenever I speak at any events, everyone has a crazy uncle that says housing is gonna crash for the last 20 years, right? It's just, I'm, I'm convinced every family member has that because everyone I talk to, they say, ah, this person, this person, this way. Yeah. So this way, at least you can educate your crazy uncle on how this is not 2008. Not every, remember, every, every economic cycle is different. Everything is unique. And for me, uh, the housing recession, you know, that happened one year ago reminds me of 2018. Uh, and there's a lot of dynamics that happened in 2018, 19 that are similar today. And the number one dynamic was in 2018 was the beginning of the housing bubble crash because of 5% mortgage rates and inventory didn't even grow that year. We have a group of people in this country, middle-aged men who don't read. And when you don't read, right, what happens? You're susceptible to, uh, tactics of disinformation, so the people that are telling you the crash don't read, and then the, everyone else doesn't read. So guess that's a bad, that's a bad, you know, bar mix right there. 
Um, so 2018 didn't actually have inventory growth. Here we had inventory growth last year, but it was still very low. New listings data was low. So we want to educate people. That's why Altos research is like the ultimate attacking of old and slow, right? It is fast. It is efficient. It gets information out there. Uh, and by the time you read it, or, uh, the other data in to normal media channels, you're already behind the curve, right? And this is why we created the tracker so we could get people aware why the dynamics of housing changed on November 9th. And we're here in June 16th, one year recession uh, uh, anniversary, but the marketplace has changed so much for crazy reasons that, you know, we would never uh, uh, forecast to see. But back on November 9th, we wrote that article for Housing Wire. We said that forward-looking data looks like existing home sales are going to go to 4 million. That would be a historic crash, but it looks like it. And and hopefully everything will make sense. But yeah, the recession happened one year ago. And now that we have one year of data, we get to see demand did crash, permits did fall, um, jobs were lost, and incomes were lost. Those things are not happening in the US economy yet. But in the housing market, it did. So uh, we had a manufacturing recession in 2015 and 16 in the, in the US, and that didn't create a US recession. So you can have sectors in an economy have a recessionary data line, but not the general economy. Well, let's talk about the general economy because um, even Powell said some things after um, you and I did this podcast a few days ago after he spoke, and then he answered some more questions, had some other things he said. Where are we going for the overall economy? What should we expect? So uh, the unemployment rate is low. People are working, getting paid, and they're buying goods and services every every month. Um the U.S. economy is so much relied on domestic demand that uh, uh, the shocks that you know the Federal Reserve did with short-term rates, some of that isn't as impactful, right? Because you know we, we look at housing. Well, we short-term rates don't really impact housing in a significant way because most people have thirty-year fixes, right? So it's not it's not similar. Um, but to me, I'm 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 going to give you uh, a few variables to look at for the rest of the year. Um, interest uh, expenses are rising, right, for credit cards, so uh, people are paying more in interest. Uh, the student loan debt repayment is going to come back on live. That means we're draining money out of the system and putting it in the hands of the government. So interest expense, and then another uh, uh, payment. You know, can that slow consumption down? In theory, it should. So that's the thing we need to focus on, you know, after the, the student loan debt payment comes up. And at what point does all this higher interest rates, because remember, everything works with the lag. It'll take time, right? Even the Fed has always talked about there's a lag impact. This is why I was always curious about their last few rate hikes, because they gave us that uh, model from last year and they went against it. But you got the student loan debt payments coming back. You got the interest expenses growing. Um, uh, and then we move forward to the, the counter to that again is the growth rate of inflation is falling and gas prices have fallen, right? So that is a tax cut benefit. So does that outweigh some of the other things? Over time, we'll be able to track this weekly. But as of now, jobless claims are still under 323,000. Job openings are 10 million. Uh, so the economy keeps moving along. It's not a fa- we're, we're no longer a super fast growing economy, but we have some things. You know, man- there's a lot of domestic investment in manufacturing right now. Um, 
we take it one day and one week at a time. But the key, you want to keep an eye on interest expenses rising and then another form of payment comes in. Remember, we we had people paying their student loans and we had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. Uh, we had people that said, well, once the stimulus checks are over, the US is going to crash. That didn't happen, right? Household balance sheets look much different now. That matters. Uh, uh, so the shock or something has to come from somewhere else. But we track it weekly, and we'll see. We'll see how the economy handles uh, another round of higher or another round of payments in general, withdraws money out of the out of the economy and goes into the hands of the government. Wow, that is a lot to take in. But uh, so glad you are here to walk us through that. Thank you so much. On the one year anniversary, we'll we'll continue to look at the housing market and the overall economy and and what we should expect. But Logan, thank you so much. Pleasure to be here, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.